on today's episode of Ready to Lead. Oftentimes, these talents are inversely correlated. And many times, it can be simply solved as saying, hey, Richard, you're the top salesperson in the division. You've hit your quarters, nine quarters in a row. We've got an open sales leadership position. And we're thinking, you might be interested in this. But we want to make sure we set you up for success, not just in this company, but in your career, wherever you go. Welcome to Ready to Lead, a show that gives you, the leader, tools, tips, and insights you need to grow your team, your company, and yourself. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Lead. I'm your host, Richard Lindner, and I am so excited to be joined today by Scott Jeffrey Miller, uh, Mr. Scott, as I've been instructed to refer to him from here on out. Now, now, for those of you who don't know, Scott built an impressive 25-year career at Franklin Covey, which is one of the world's most respected and influential leadership development firms, just period. And when I look, I believe he served in nearly every single role imaginable. He was a salesperson, a project manager, a sales leader, a general manager, a vice president, the CMO, the executive vice president of thought leadership, and currently serves as a special advisor on thought leadership. Now, if that were enough, because Scott's an overachiever, during that time, he somehow became a multi-best-selling author, radio host, podcast host, leadership coach, columnist, global keynote speaker, and somehow... He still found time to be with us here today. So Scott, welcome, and thank you so very much for joining us. Hey, it's my honor, man. I'm delighted to be here, excited for the spotlight and the platform, and that is a lot going on. I probably should cut a few of those things out and put uh, parent and spouse in the front of that list of things. I was going to say, couple of kids, couple of dogs, and a wife. Three boys, two dogs, and a most important um, wife. Wow. That is a lot. I'm exhausted reading it. Um, like I said, I am so excited to talk to you today. And, and I'll tell you, I've been, I've been following you since about 2019. I love your books. The humility and vulnerability that comes through in everything you do is attractive. It's infectious. It is refreshing. That's one of the first things I want to talk to you about. But first, if you'll indulge me, I'd love to share a bit of a funny and maybe almost disastrous way that I was introduced to you. I don't know this story. I'm looking yeah. forward to how's it. That for, yeah. How's that for opening a loop? So ready to lead, end of 2018, I'm sitting with my uh, leadership team at our parent company, and we had decided that Digital Marketer is one of our primary portfolio holdings and, and companies, and we wanted to create the digital marketer of leadership and the digital marketer of sales and the digital marketer of entrepreneurial space, right? So we're like, yeah, let's do this. And which one are we going to start with? And I said, guys, I'm really passionate about leadership, and I think we should start there. And everyone agreed, and we greenlit it, and we went through all of these names, and no one could agree on a name. Finally, we got one, went with the branding, got it all done. I sent it over. Teams going through it. As a last thing, I sent it over to the lawyer, to our patent, trademark, attorney. Everything said, hey, by the way, we're launching this. Awesome. Cool. Can't wait. Uh, you know, talk soon. I get a thing back. It's, hey, 
don't know if you've done much research, but the name on leadership is taken. And I was like, I, I bought the domain. I own onleadership.com to this day. Right now, I own onleadership.com. I said, well, I don't think you'll want to use that because this little company called Franklin Covey, maybe you've heard of him, currently have it. There's a guy who hosts a show. His name's Scott Miller. Here's some links. And I went over and I was like, I hate this guy. I already hate him. It's my idea. I hate him. And I started listening to it and I was like, damn it. I don't hate him. I really like it. He's really smart. And he's unfortunately very, very good at his job. He's an amazing interviewer, obviously has a ton of experience. So the near disastrous way that we could have met, whether you would have heard about it or not, probably not, but would have been in the form of a cease and desist. Instead, instead of that, it's a having you as a guest on our newly named podcast, Ready to Lead. Well, first so, of all, the, new, the new name is better. So congratulations. Thank you for the gracious <laughs> Thank compliments. You. Thank you. My friend, I have been on both sides of that conversation. I've been in your seat many times. Boy, who? Right? <laughs> I got it's, some great you know, stories uh, I can share on that one. <laughs> I, you know, I think you hit the holy trinity on the, the you know, cease and desist, depending on what, uh, you know, what industry you're in on, yeah. on who those come from. That's how you know you're pushing hard enough. But yeah, well, anyway, I thought that was funny. I thought it'd be a cool is. story to, uh, to, what, to tie in. What you're there. referring uh, to is the is one of two podcasts that I host called On Leadership, where I'm actually on set right. now today, which has become the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, much like yours. It started just like yours and it's grown and we have a very similar format. You and I have a lot in common that way. And I'm, I'm honored to be on yours today talking about the, the same topic. Man. So we both got the well, same. Thank mission. you. You guys are what 190 episodes closing in, at least pu publicly facing. I'm sure you got a few in the can. Yeah, we've taped probably two in production. Or so, but wow. it's going to be a great year coming That's out. That's amazing. Yeah, look forward to it. Amazing. Um, well, like I said, I love your books. I love your writing style, and it was it was really really difficult to decide for this particular conversation what content, what book we should we should dive into. I mean. Everyone Deserves a Great Manager is an amazing book. Management Mess to Leadership Success. I love the Mess series. I'm Thank excited you. that there's another one coming out this year. Marketing Mess to Brand Success. Yeah. I'm a marketer at heart, yeah. so loved that one. And then you hit with the Master Mentors uh, book and made it nearly impossible to decide where we guide today's conversation. Oh, oh go um, on. Go on. More of this. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, stop. Don't stop. But ultimately... <laughs> For you know, for for our audience, for the people that that are here saying, "What the heck am I doing with this whole leadership thing?" I really felt like management mess to leadership success was where we should focus our conversation. And and I'll be honest, I truly believe that if someone were to only read the table of contents of this book, they would receive one of the most powerful leadership lessons ever. The way that you've structured this book is powerful. The content blows it away, but it's broken down into three parts, into leading yourself, leading others, and getting results. And, and I believe that that is sequential. A and the 30 challenges, which if you can pull this off in 30 days, oh my gosh, I tried. And I was like, I guess I'm going to check that box, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. How did you First, going back to the mess, yeah. let, let me let me ask you a question just 
about your being and, and the way that you share. I, I know from reading and following you, you're a bold person, you're a bold personality. Have you always shared kind of at least seemingly freely and openly your failures or, or, or mistakes in the, of, of the past? Has that always come natural to you? Richard, I've been on 200 plus podcasts as a guest. No one's ever asked me that question. I love that question. No, I don't think so. I don't think that I had the maturity and the vulnerability. I don't think that I saw vulnerability as a competence like I do now. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably in my mid 40s that I realized what, what a mentor was, what a leader was, how valuable it can be to actually recognize when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. And as a leader, you have some incumbency on you to actually share what your mistakes are and the lessons that are learned because no one can replicate another person's education or genius or background or natural skills. I can't replicate yours and you can't replicate mine, but I can learn from your mistakes. I can avoid them and you can learn from mine. So I think it was probably my mid forties as a leader of people. I was a pretty poor leader. I was a great individual contributor for the first part of my career. And like most individual contributors, I got promoted to become a leader, which the two are rarely correlated. We can talk about that more because not everybody should be a leader of people, period. So to answer your question, no, I think it was when I probably gained a level of maturity to recognize that vulnerability is a leadership competency, just like reading a P&L and calculating EBITDA and giving feedback to people in their blind spots Vulnerability is a tool you can use to transform other people's lives by saying, say this, don't say that. Do this, don't do that. Yeah. Because look what I did. Preach. So it, it's funny when um, I have a co-host, Jeff Mask. Jeff was um, my leadership coach. He's not very coach engaging. Mask. He's not very engaging today, by the way. Where is Jeff? I mean, he's kind of like- He's not. He's not. We decided when we launched the, the podcast that most episodes would be us conversationally speaking, breaking down issues that, that we deal with for our own companies and clients, but that we would also supplement with outside experts that we respected, right? Bring them in. And when we did that, we would only have one one host on because it can be a little a little tough, especially three big personalities, everyone trying their best not to be like, look at me, look at me, but we're all failing miserably. So we figured if it's only two, maybe one of us will give way to the other. Especially right. with Scott so Miller as guest. Uh, yeah, exactly. Foo, that guy. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you, when we launched this podcast, what you know, he said, man, I don't know if the world needs another leadership podcast. And he said, what makes us uniquely qualified to talk about it? And we decided that exactly what you said. There are the failures that exist in leadership that come from two places are the reason that we should do this podcast. The first place is just the human condition, right? Our own programming, the, the thing that, that makes us great as selfish and, and individual contributors that needs to change when we lead people. That's one. And then two, when the logical solution to a common problem results in a logical result, aka failure, we've done enough things. We're smart guys. We've done enough things like the logical way and it hasn't worked. And if we can share those failures, especially if we can share through story, 
then maybe other people can experience the pain without third party without having to experience first party. So when I like, and, and I think that that was an original idea, but I thought on leadership was an original idea. And then the mess series. And I went like, is Scott Miller, my spirit animal? Like, am I just, am I taking all of his ideas and, and lying to myself that they're my own? Um, stop. And I don't know stop. the answer to This that. is my favorite <laughs> podcast interview of all time. I am your great, spirit great. animal. You are my spirit animal. Um, I, it's, I don't know, but I love the, the sharing those stories openly. I mean, when you're talking about kind of the first part of the book and leading yourself and starting with humility, I think the vulnerability and humility go hand in hand. I believe that what you said and the lesson you learned in your forties and that, that acceptance and, and almost leaning into that vulnerability is the number one way to avoid or at least react to positively imposter syndrome. If you can be real about where you aren't succeeding or your failures or shortcomings, then how can you struggle with imposter syndrome? You're being honest. So I love that. I love starting with saying like, here's where I've failed in the past and, and maybe even where I'm failing now. Like this is where I'm, I'm failing. I think we're entering into this new era of leadership um, where the stigma of the past of like, much like in parenting, right? How many times did you see your parents admit wrongdoing? I know right. I, it didn't happen Never for my generation. They were, were right. It was the because I said so generation. And I think I that to, I used ended to call my in mother, parenting. I used to call my mom the Virgin Mary. My mother is still alive and she's not Catholic, but I used to say she's the Virgin Mary. I mean, she never makes a mistake. Everything is perfect. Yeah, there's some psychiatry. I think that ended in, in parenting before it's ended in leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think you're driving that with this mess series. So I'll tell you, in, in the, the first part of your book, in the, the lead yourself section, I'd love to know your favorites. Uh, and then I'll tell you mine. So I, I know it's like kids, I don't have favorites, but... What are the, you know, of the chunks in the lead yourself section, where do you think the most relevant for leaders of all shapes and sizes, whether you're aspiring to lead, sure. yeah. whether you're early leading or whether you're accidentally leading uh, and you've been doing it a while, like what are those lessons and the challenges that maybe should be reviewed anyway, either learned for the first time, relearned, reviewed, like what are they? Well, for the most part, the book is just a reminder of things most people know, right? Common knowledge isn't common practice. And as our co-founder, Dr. Covey, would say, to know but not to do is not to know. So what I did in this book, mm -hmm. Richard, is after 40 years of this company being in the leadership business, you know, we've learned a thing or two along the way, and I collected 30 common leadership principles, challenges that all of us face in our career. And I organized them loosely tied to this construct of lead yourself, lead others, and get results. Number four is declare your intent. I think one of the mm. smartest things I've ever heard in my life came from a man named Blaine Lee. Blaine Lee was a friend of Dr. Covey's. He was a co-founder of our firm. And Blaine Lee said the following, and I'm going to repeat it twice because I think it is profound. He said, nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. 
Nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. So as you look at your role as a leader, whether it be giving people feedback on their blind spots or having performance appraisals or coaching in real time, whatever it is, your job is to make sure that there's no confusion. Everybody understands the mission and the vision, the direction and what people's roles are and alignments. And people will ascribe intent to you if you don't declare what yours is. We've all got motives. We all have unconscious biases. You know, to be human is to have bias. And we don't always say what we really are feeling. So as a leader, your job is to create clarity, including on what your intent is. Because most of us judge other people by their technique or their behavior, but we want for them to judge us by our intent. Well, I didn't mean to say that, and I didn't mean, no, you did, because that's what came out of your mouth. So I think the one of of all the ones in the first tranche that I'm the most passionate about, whether it be um, demonstrate humility, think abundantly, listen first, inspire trust, I think it's declare your intent, because if you look at the conflict in your life, whether it's with your partner or spouse, your boyfriend, your husband, your mother-in-law, your neighbor, your rabbi, your imam, your priest, your boss, your subordinate, your supplier, I'll bet it's because they thought you were going to do something and you didn't. Or you thought they were going to do something and they didn't. But neither of you declared your intent. I have no intent in doing that and I'm not going to do that. So don't be disappointed when I don't do that. I'm kind of dumbing it down, but you get the point. Declaring your intent up front by using those words. Richard, thanks for coming into my office today. I need to have a high courage conversation with you about some things that are going on with you that are having a negative impact on your brand here. Richard, my intent is to help you be aware of some of your blind spots and to have you have a great career here. My intent is not to minimize you, not to embarrass you, not to diminish you. There, I've cleared it up. I've declared what my intent is, and now you can release yourself from thinking I have some nefarious hidden agenda. I've declared my intent. My intent is not to diminish you. My intent is to help you have a great career here. I think using those words, anytime there is a high-stakes conversation, can eliminate so much confusion and pain Start using the phrase, first, can I declare my intent? You might even ask for forgiveness. I might use the wrong words. I might need a do-over. I might not say it the wrong right way. So you get the point there. That's what I'm, I think, the most passionate about early on. That, one's, that one is, is, is definitely on my list. And well, it's, your spirit, it's funny. One it's of your our, spirit animal, I knew that. Yeah, it'd have to be. You knew. You already knew that. Yeah, my list is your list. Your list is mine. We are. Um, we are there. Uh, we are one. One of our core values, or at least one of our beliefs, we're we're in the midst of redoing our core values, and, and this one is on the list to move from from belief to core value. But is we believe in giving people the benefit of the doubt, and what we describe the benefit of the doubt, or how we define that, is there's how someone makes you feel. Or in, uh, there's, and how someone intended to make you feel. The benefit of the of, of the doubt is acknowledging how they made you feel, coming up with another option of what could have happened, holding your reaction until you can seek to find out where it is. If we would lead with this one, 
if we would start by declaring your intent, if we would start by asking for forgiveness before mistakes, I wouldn't have to have this as one of our beliefs. I think this is so powerful that and, and, and a game changer. The way that you just delivered that, obviously second nature, but it was so well done to pre-diffuse, to inoculate against all of the feelings that bubble up from our direct reports when we have to give that critical <laughs> feedback. And everyone just assumes that I'm being picked on. This is because of this. I'm embarrassed. So I love Declare Your Intent. Love it. Richard, there was a lot in what you said there, a lot of wisdom. You know, something I'm enormously mm -hmm. passionate about is this idea of self-awareness. You know, we, we so few of us are self-aware, me included. I really had to do some exploration around what is it like to be in a relationship with Scott Miller? I'm a pretty ferocious person. I have high energy. I can be indefatigable. I can be rude. I can be mean. I can be petty. I can be inspiring and uplifting and contagiously positive. I mean, and so I really had to understand what's it like to be on the receiving end of a conversation with Scott? What's it like to be on the receiving end of feedback? Because I've got an abundance of courage. I've got an excess of courage. I'll talk to you about your personal hygiene. I'll talk about your competence. Mm. And that's good and bad because sometimes my excess of courage results in a deficiency of diplomacy, right? Or consideration. So right. I've had to be really thoughtful yeah. to know what is it like to be on the other side of a conversation with me because it's not for everybody. And I have to make sure that I understand how do I want this person to feel when I am done with this conversation? I want to leave them better off. I want them to know I've got their back. I want them to know that I'm going to be that one person that exercises the courage to share with them some feedback that could have life-changing impact on them and that I can be that person they can give it to as well. Mm. Oh, boy. I love how I'm sitting here going, okay, that was that was in part two, lead others. Sorry. <laughs> Balance, courage, and consideration. Got it, got it, got it. And then hold on, feedback. Where was that one at? There was there was the feedback. Where where did that one go? Um, so let's 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 jump around because um, I do I love what you just said about the balance between courage and consideration. I think if you're too high on the courage, right, you can just be brass and go in guns blazing. You skip all of the intent. There's no setup. You're you're you know you're right into it, and and really you can be hurtful unintentionally or not, the outcome can be, you know, pain. So talk to me about this balance between courage and consideration. So courage, right, that you're willing to have these conversations. Uh, what about consideration? What are we talking about there? So I apologize if I kind of moved it around a little bit, but I, I thank you for bringing it back. In my no, 30 no. years... In my 30 years as a formal leader, as a leadership author, as a leadership podcast host, as a leadership book club host, as a leader who's made a lot of mistakes, I've come to realize I think the number one job of a leader is to recruit and retain talent. Recruit and retain talent that is noticeably, palpably smarter, more educated than you are, and to be comfortable with that. I think the number two most important role of a leader is to give people feedback on their blind spots. 
And this is really illustrated in challenge 12, lead difficult conversations, challenge 13, talk straight. And then to your point, challenge 14, balance courage and consideration, giving people feedback on their blind spots. This is incumbent on every leader. If you don't have enough love for your people to risk being not liked, then step down. I'm going to say that again. You have to love your people enough to risk not being liked, to give them feedback on their blind spots. And as I mentioned, it might be about things that are as volatile as, you know, are they following the dress code? To, are they showing too much, you know, of their skin? To are they on time to meetings? Do they ever offer an excuse-free apology? Do they ever actually take responsibility for something in any way other than saying my bad, which by the way is not taking responsibility? So there is an art to learning this leadership competency. You, don't, you won't do it right the first time. My human resource file is an expandable folder because I screwed it up enough times. But you, you, you grow with practice. But if your intent is to help this person, then you will say, I need to give you some feedback and... I know that I may not use the exact right words to do this, and I'm sensitive to what may be some of your differences than me. And I want to make sure that I demonstrate a balance of both courage, but also consideration for your feelings, because I might use words that are different than you would use. And so I think a lot of us fall on one end of the continuum. We either have an excess of courage, and we just kind of say what's on our mind and let the chits fall where they land whatever the adage is. And we can sometimes verbally eviscerate people and damage their self-esteem, their self-confidence, or worse, their self-worth. And on the opposite end is the leader that's so shy and so demurring and so retiring that they come into a conversation, they're so obfuscating, to use an American term, beating around the bush, the person wonders, well, what the heck was that all about? And you think you've put them on a performance plan. They're wondering, what did we talk about? That the art of this is, you know, providing both redirecting and reinforcing feedback. It's actually having a conversation where you are exercising a balance of talking straight, not spinning, not posturing, not confusing facts and emotions, not confusing facts and opinions, facts and feelings, but citing specific examples. In last Thursday's team meeting, when Patricia said this, Richard, do you recall what your response was? No. Richard, your response was, well, that's a crazy idea. That will never work. And then you went, whatever it was, that, that's what you said. Mm, well, I didn't mean right. that. I know you didn't mean that. But Richard, it's what you said. And eight people have come to me that are offended. You, you get the point, right? And so it's making yeah. sure that, and Richard, I know your intent wasn't to offend anybody. And right now, I know you're probably feeling a bit reactive that eight people took offense. They should grow up. But Richard, welcome to interpersonal relationships, right? You can't control mm. how other people feel, but you can control what you say, what you do. And so there's just a, a delicate way of balancing the courage required to talk straight and the diplomacy and the consideration to build trust with that person to reinforce in them that you do have their best interest at heart. And like all of us, including me, you're going to say, and, you're going to say and do stupid stuff and you're going to owe some apologies. And you're going to have to grow and learn 
just like I have. That's a leader that I think everyone wants to work for. Close the door and say, hey, Richard, this is embarrassing. And I know because I've been there, but in the hot Oklahoma summers, we tend to break through our antiperspirant and you might be doing just that. And before you were ever to be embarrassed for someone to mention it to you, I think you need to perhaps change your deodorant because I think it's an issue for you like it has been for all of us. No harm, no foul. What is said in here stays in here. Now, of course, you can have that conversation differently with different genders. You can have it different based on trust. But this is a gift people, leaders give to their people is exercising the courage and consideration to talk straight and discuss people's blind spots. There's so much in what you just said. And I think breaking down the, we talked about intent and, and you can, you can declare your intent with your intellect, right? You can go in and and declare all these things and follow the cadence and the words that you have. But if, if your heart doesn't truly want to love these people, does not truly take the responsibility of stewardship and leadership seriously, then you should, I, I agree, you should resign. It, you should not lead people. That's exactly it. Is I think the leadership industry has done a disservice to people. And that is this idea, everyone is a leader and everyone should be a leader. I don't agree. I just fundamentally, yeah, yes, you can lead culture. Yes, you can lead projects, but not everyone should be a leader of people. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot. We train for those things. But you know, do you know at Harvard Business Review, Richard, did a research study several years ago that said the average age that someone receives their first promotion into their first management position, age 30. Yet the average age those same people receive their first leadership development training, age 42. There's an empirical yeah, it takes a little while. 12 years of, you know, high producing <laughs> individual producers that get promoted right. into management and they wreak havoc on culture like I did. And so, first of all, companies stop making the only career track for promotion be leading people. Nonsense. Shame on you. Boom. You have got to Boom. develop individual contributor career tracks for title, for promotion, for pay, for influence, for office space, all of that. Because what's happened is, and I'm passionate about this, you can tell, is organizations are leading really great people into like paths of destruction because they were not called to be leaders of people because there's often an inverse correlation. What makes you the best digital designer, the best dental hygienist, the top salesperson, and what makes you the leader of the creative team or the office manager of the dental office or the sales leader. Oftentimes, these talents are inversely correlated. And many times it can be simply solved as saying, hey, Richard, you're the top salesperson of the division. You've hit your quarters, nine quarters in a row. We've got an open sales leadership position. And we're thinking you might be interested in this, but we want to make sure we set you up for success, not just in this company, but in your career, wherever you go. Let's have a really transparent conversation on what are the skills you currently have that you could bring into this new role? And what skills should you not bring in to this new role? What skills do you not yet have that we could teach you over time that you currently aren't aware of and don't manifest, but you can learn? 
this might not be the right, that conversation rarely happens. What happens is companies promote their top producers they get promoted into leadership. They hate it because they realize it's about giving feedback and holding accountability meetings and hiring and firing. What, what do they do? Go back to their previous position? No, they quit because they're horrified. And so now you've lost your leadership pipeline and your top producers. Stop doing that. Yes. So I'll tell you, we have lost more talent at our company for two reasons. One, me. I was a terrible leader. I was bold and I did all of the stuff you talked about with courage with none of the stuff you talked about on consideration. I was a wrecking ball and prided myself on having the difficult conversation. But boy, I had it like a moron. Do you and, and I, ran like, off were, you ra- were you raised in the same house? Are we brothers? I don't know. Maybe. If not, you know, we'll just say we are. Um, Brothers, spirit animals, whatever. But so I'm the number one reason that we lost more, some of the best talent. The second reason was exactly what you just said. Whether we intended it or not, in our company, there was one path for for advancement. You had to lead people. We didn't mean to say it, but we didn't have a path for what does it look like to be an individual contributor with the same status, with the same title, with the same comp, with the same career path. So people that were creatives and that were amazing individual contributors, high output individuals, high performers said, well, hell, I guess I have to start leading people. And they were truly atrocious at it. So they drove off talent. And then to your point, when they were so miserable because they were failing and high performance individuals cannot stand to fail, they left. And I looked around and went, what the hell did I do? Because it was all my fault. So going back and now saying and and having this conversation with the president that I hired just yesterday in saying, I don't want one path for people. We have to make sure there's two paths. They got to have the the management leadership track and they got to have the individual contributor, subject matter expert, specialist track. And if we ignore that, we're going to duplicate our mistakes from the past and, and, and it'll be our fault. And before it was our fault. And we realize it, but we do it again. It'll be our fault, and there'll be no excuse whatsoever. Beautiful, beautifully said, man. I couldn't beautifully said. I, I want to be a compliment. More. I know our time is is tight here. The self awareness and the humility that you just showed there to talk about how you recognized that you know you didn't really know how to be a leader. It doesn't mean you were a bad person. It means you were a bad leader, like me. I mean, I, I did some, you know, nothing unethical or immoral ever. Sure, but I did some, you know, crazy stuff to people thinking I was inspiring them, thinking I was a great leader, thinking I was doing the right thing and I was doing a horrible thing. And it took someone to like, tell me, no, Scott, that's actually not the role of a leader. I'll tell you, I think the best leadership book ever written is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Great. Good friend of mine. I know Liz well. And Liz really talks about how a leader's job is not to be the genius, but rather the genius maker of others. This was a, this was a transformational book for me. To all of your listeners and viewers, I'd love it if you bought Management Mess and Multipliers will transform your leadership culture, your leadership skills. And for me, it was the reason I stepped aside as the CMO. I needed a break. I was the genius in the room. There was an, an, a, a quote when I was the CMO, best idea wins as long as it's Scott's. 
And I recognized that there was truth to that. And I did not have the maturity to realize my top job was to recruit and retain talent that was, again, noticeably more talented than me and not be threatened by any of them. Mm. Wow. The hardest transition to make, I believe, is from individual contributor to leader of people. I don't agree. I think the hardest transition is from single guy to married guy with three kids. Okay. Secondly, is from individual contributor. That one, okay. (laughs) You are right. You are right. But I'll tell you, how you are fulfilled has to change. How you receive acknowledgement has to change. You compete with the people you're charged to lead and game over they're gone. You're the asshole. Why are you and I not writing a book together? But I mean, I, you're my spirit let's animal. Do it. You are my spirit oh, animal. We can't be reverse spirit animals. We can because I said that'll so. That'll break we the can. universe. Oh, is that true? Well, okay. We I don't, are. I don't we know just invented it. I don't read, I don't I read don't fiction. I'm, nah, me either. I'm willing to tell uh, you know what? I'm a fan of the scientific method. Let's go for it. Uh, that being said, the, the retain, I, I agree on the talent, right? Your job is to recruit grow and retain talent. Welcome to leadership. So we all know about the great resignation. Today, today, NBC News broke a story. 4.5 million Americans quit their job in November. 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 Like, November. What the heck? What do we do? Now we're leaders new leaders, experienced leaders. What the heck do we do? People are leaving left and right. It's our job to keep them, to grow them. How do we, how do we tackle that? You know, this is going to sound convenient, but I have for a year been telling leaders, if you don't get on the front end of this by re-recruiting your people, you're going to be spending all of your time replacing them in the spring. Mm-hmm. And on this one, I'm going to say I was absolutely right. Not that I predicted this, but I was very much on the front side of this. What's happened, of course, is, Richard, everyone's values have changed post-pandemic, right? Yes, we were all in the same storm. No, we were not all in the same boat. Everybody's become more thoughtful around what they want out of life, what they're willing to tolerate, what they're willing to do with their precious time. Everybody's values have changed. What's fascinating is when people quit, you ask them, where are they going? And they say, I don't know. They're not running somewhere. They're running from somewhere. They're, man, you know, I don't know. You know, I'll open an eBay store. I'll create an NFT. Mm-hmm. I'll do a side hustle. I'll go get a job. I'll, a I'll consult. I mean, the the world has seismically changed, and it's the leader that recognizes your job is to create connection with your people. You've got to be listening. What makes mm. you excited? What are you passionate about? How do we make sure that your passion drives our mission? What are the things that you are most engaged about? How's it going? How are you doing? That leaders recognize you're checking in. You're not checking on. That you may have to fundamentally change every one of your mindsets where you're not paying for hours. You're paying for outcomes. I don't care where you work. I don't care when you work. I mean, I'm 53. I have a full-time employee. I live in Salt Lake. They live in Dallas. And my natural go-to Cro-Magnon mindset is, what have you been doing all day? And what time did you start working? And sounds like you're outside again. I mean, I'm paying you like, you know, $50 an hour. And I have to realize 
he will quit me faster than anything if I mean, if I don't, and I'll say, where will you go? He'll say, I'll find a job. He doesn't care. Don't know. So I have to yeah. fundamentally change what I thought was important in a career, what I value to recognize this young man is 26, who's a genius, by the way, and I'll do anything to keep him because I need him more than he needs me. I have to tell him I love him. I have to tell him I care about him. I have to tell him I'm a jackass and I apologize. And can I rewind like 45 seconds? Because I didn't think that through, right? I mean, this is about, to your question, getting ahead of the curve. Hey, Richard, I have no doubt that you're being recruited by everybody in town right now. I have no doubt that there are things I've done that have pissed you off. Apologize for my language. I need you. Hmm. I need you here, man. I want you here. I need you. I want to create a space that makes it work for us both. What can we do to make this work? I, I want to get ahead of your being dated and recruited by other people. I'm sure your inbox and in mail on LinkedIn is blowing up. I want to make this work for you. Now, it doesn't mean that you, you know, they get to sit at their home and they're lazy boy all day long and, you know, play beer pong. Of course, there's accountability. It requires you to fundamentally change your mindset. A leader's job is to achieve results with and through other people. And when that becomes right your down. default mindset, my job is to achieve results through Richard, with Richard. I got to coach him. I got to validate him. I got to listen to him. I got to accommodate him. I got to inspire him. And by the way, I think you have to treat every person differently. You can treat everybody fairly and still treat them differently. It's just like parenting. Because what motivates you may not motivate Drew, may not motivate Tina. It requires a whole level of leadership we've never had to rise to. That or they will quit you. I, they will quit you. Here's what I believe. because And I, I fundamentally agree with everything you said, period. I believe the way to make sure that we retain talent is all of that, but also People have to know or feel known. Hmm. You have to make sure. I think so many times we don't double check that the currency we're paying in is an accepted and valued currency. Wow. wow. I, th I don't think leaders check in to say, wow. what do you, what Scott, what is important to you? Do you want to travel more? Do you want more responsibility? Do you want more money? Do you not care about money because what you care about is hiking and wilderness photography yeah, and you have a you're a man of integrity and you're going to do the best job possible so that you can go out and hike and take those pho photographs and maybe one day in all of your wildest dreams that's how you get paid and once i know that my rewards to you for a job well done need to align with that Maybe it's a new camera lens. Maybe it's a, a, a hiking trail map of your favorite framed. And, and, and not only do you feel known, right? It tells me how I need to move you on your career. And when the company hits its goals through your efforts, how you need to be rewarded in getting closer to yours. People aren't known. They're employees. Stop thinking of them as employees. Yes, that is the contract whether it's a signed contract or not, you've entered into. But they're people. They have dreams and hopes and goals and aspirations. And if you don't know them, it's not going to take more money to get them to quit you. It's not going to take you being a bad boss to get them to quit you. It's going to take, I don't know, 
a sneeze. So for me, everything there is critical, but I believe you have to know your people, truly know them. And they have to know that you know them. They have to feel it or they're going to leave. Doesn't matter. I have nothing else that's to say. That's, a, that's an cool. extraordinary ending to this. This is why you are a great leadership podcast. Well, well said, period. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, I'll tell you, there are so many gems for our listeners. Thank you for all the knowledge and wisdom that you shared today. I'll ask if our audience were to leave with one takeaway, one or two, what would those be? I had the privilege of working for Dr. Stephen R. Covey, of course, the author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, before his death 10 years ago. I worked for him for 15 years. And he wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And as the chief marketing officer, Richard, I was often called by the press to be interviewed on his behalf about his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. No, the book was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so the biggest learning I took away from Stephen was that efficiency and effectiveness are very different. One is not necessarily better than the other. I'm a very efficient person. I'm proud of that. I wake up at four o'clock. I write my column for Inc. Magazine. I write my chapters, my book. I host two podcasts. I host a radio program on iHeartRadio. I have a corporate job. I have an entrepreneur job. I'm, I'm a super productive person, and I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, most of my success in financial security has come from my productivity. It's my biggest strength. It's my efficiency mindset. And like all strengths and overplay, they become your biggest weaknesses because it's when I move that efficiency mindset, get it done, check it off, move on. When I move it into my relationships that I do great damage, you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. So for any of your listeners and viewers that can relate to my level of efficiency or productivity, that's been your strength, it's your hallmark, it's your brand, it's your moniker. That's great. Just know when to turn off the phone, when to take off your Apple Watch, when to close the laptop, and when to check in and not try to rush relationships. Because every company is now a technology company, and every company is in the same business. They're in the people business. You're in the relationship business, and I have to consciously move out of efficiency mind, Miller, and move into effectiveness-minded Miller. It's not natural for me. And so I would just remind your listeners and viewers, know when to be efficient and know when to be effective. Wow. That's the mic drop moment. There. Thank you. Such a solid takeaway. Scott, if our listeners want to connect with you after this, where can they find you? Where Where do they go? My phone number is, I don't, I'm kidding. No, so I live <laughs> in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can visit my website at scottjeffreymiller.com. You can visit me and, and, and connect and, and friend me on every social platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, soon to be TikTok. I'm everywhere. My wife says that's not a compliment. She thinks I'm overexposed. But I'd love to have you follow or connect with me. ScottJeffreyMiller.com is my website. All things in Miller land are there. Thank you, Richard. Great conversation. Great. Thank you so much. And look, 
this is the book. This is one of the books. This is the, you can see all of my, I, I, like, I had to start moving over to the side for I tabs. Love it. I love it. Um, management ma mess to leadership success. Get it. Attempt the challenge. If it takes you 60 days, it takes you 90, doesn't matter. Attempt the challenge. Um, all of Scott's books are great. Check them out. You will become exponentially smarter and make less mistakes if you leverage the one others have made. So do that. Scott, it was wonderful talking to you today. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you listening in, stay tuned for actionable advice for more thought leaders like Scott on the Ready to Lead podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ready to Lead show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to stay updated on the release of new episodes, be sure to hit that follow button. And Jeff and Richard, they want to hear from you. If there's an episode topic you'd like to hear them dive into, or something about today's episode that was a big breakthrough, or maybe even something you disagree with, they want to know. Send them an email at feedback at readytolead.com. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'll see you on the next one.